Chapter 4a of The Everyday Life of Abraham Lincoln. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Everyday Life of Abraham Lincoln by Francis Fisher Brown. Chapter 4a Lincoln's Removal to Springfield, A Lawyer Without Clients or Money, Early Discouragements, Proposes to Become a Carpenter, Stuart and Lincoln, Attorneys at Law, Riding the Circuit, Incidents of a Trip Round the Circuit, Pen Pictures of Lincoln, Humane Traits, Kindness to Animals. Lincoln's removal from New Salem to Springfield, where his more active life as a lawyer began, occurred in April 1837, soon after the completion of his survey work at Petersburg. The event was closely connected with the removal of the state capital from Vandalia to Springfield, the law for which was passed at the legislative session of 1836-37. to As has been stated, Lincoln was a member of that legislature, and was active in procuring the passage of the bill. The citizens of Springfield were very desirous of the removal of the capital to their town, and many of them were present at the session when the measure was up for discussion. They had thus become acquainted with Lincoln. They were favorably impressed as to his abilities and character, and pleased with his efforts in the matter in which they were so greatly interested. Through their influence and encouragement he chose Springfield as his future home. Lincoln's first interview after his arrival in Springfield was with Mr. Joshua F. Speed, with whom he already had a slight acquaintance, and who details the circumstances of their meeting. He had ridden into town, says Mr. Speed, on a borrowed horse, with no earthly property save a pair of saddle-bags containing a few clothes. I was a merchant at Springfield, and kept a large country store embracing dry goods, groceries, hardware, books, medicines, bedclothes, mattresses, in fact everything that country people needed. Lincoln came into the store with his saddle-bags on his arm, and said he wanted to buy the fixings for a single bed. The mattresses, blankets, sheets, coverlid, and pillow, according to the figures made by me, would cost seventeen dollars. He said that was perhaps cheap enough, but small as the sum was, he was unable to pay it. But if I would credit him till Christmas, and his experiment as a lawyer was a success, he would pay then, adding, in the saddest tone, "'If I fail in this, I do not know that I can ever pay you.' As I looked up at him, I thought then, and think now, that I never saw a sadder face. I said to him, "'You seem to be so much pained at contracting so small a debt. I think I can suggest a plan by which you can avoid the debt, and at the same time attain your end. I have a large room with a double bed upstairs, which you are very welcome to share with me.' "'Where is your room?' said he. "'Upstairs,' said I, pointing to a pair of winding stairs which led from the store to my room. He took his saddle-bags on his arm, went upstairs, set them down on the floor, and came down with the most changed countenance. Beaming with pleasure, he exclaimed, "'Well, Speed, I'm moved.' Lincoln was then twenty-eight years old. He was a lawyer without a client, with no money, all his earthly wealth consisting of the clothes he wore and the contents of his saddle-bags. Lincoln shared the same room with Mr. Speed during his early residence in Springfield taking his meals with his companion at the house of Mr. William Butler, with whom he boarded for five years. His professional advancement at first was slow, and he had periods of great discouragement. An old settler of Illinois named Page Eaton says, I knew Lincoln when he first came to Springfield. 
He was an awkward but hard-working young man. Everybody said he would never make a good lawyer because he was too honest. He came to my shop one day, after he had been here five or six months, and said he had a notion to quit studying law and learn carpentering. He thought there was more need of carpenters out here than lawyers. Soon after Lincoln's settlement in Springfield, he formed a law partnership with Major John T. Stewart, whom he had known for some years, and who already had a good position at the bar. This partnership began, according to the statement of Major Stewart, on April 27, 1837. It continued just four years, when it was dissolved, and Lincoln and Judge Stephen T. Logan became partners. This latter partnership continued about two years, when, on September 20, 1843, the firm of Lincoln and Herndon was formed, and it continued to the time of Lincoln's death. When Lincoln began to practice law, it was the custom in Illinois to ride the circuit, a proceeding of which the older communities of the East know nothing. The state of Illinois, for instance, is divided into a number of districts, each composed of a number of counties, of which a single judge, appointed or elected as the case may be, for that purpose, makes the circuit, holding courts at each county seat. Railroads being scarce, the earlier circuit judges made their trips from county to county on horseback or in a gig, and the prominent lawyers living within the limits of the circuit made the tour of the circuit with the judge. It is said that when Lincoln first began to ride the circuit, he was too poor to own a horse or vehicle, and was compelled to borrow from his friends. But in due time he became the proprietor of a horse, which he fed and groomed himself, and to which he was very much attached. On this animal he would set out from home, to be gone for weeks together, with no baggage but a pair of saddle-bags containing a change of linen, and an old cotton umbrella to shelter him from sun or rain. When he got a little more of this world's goods he set up a one-horse buggy, a very sorry and shabby-looking affair, which he generally used when the weather promised to be bad. The other lawyers were always glad to see him, and landlords hailed his coming with pleasure. But he was one of those gentle, uncomplaining men whom they could put off with indifferent accommodations. It was a significant remark of a lawyer who was thoroughly acquainted with his habits and disposition that Lincoln was never seated next to the landlord at a crowded table, and never got a chicken liver or the best cut from the roast. Lincoln once remarked to Mr. Gillespie that he never felt his own unworthiness so much as when in the presence of a hotel clerk or waiter. If rooms were scarce, and one, two, three, or four gentlemen were required to lodge together in order to accommodate some surly man who stood upon his rights, Lincoln was sure to be one of the unfortunates. Yet he loved the life of the circuit, and never went home without reluctance. In describing the many experiences of the lawyers who traveled the circuits at this period, Mr. Arnold says, The state was settled with a hardy, fearless, honest, but very litigious population. The courthouse was sometimes framed and boarded, but more frequently it was built of logs. The judge sat upon a raised platform behind a rough board, sometimes covered with green baize, for a table on which to write his notes. A small table stood on the floor in front for the clerk. In the center of the room was another larger table, around which in rude chairs the lawyers were grouped, too often with their feet on top of it. Rough benches were placed there for the jury, the parties to the suit witnesses, and bystanders. The courtrooms were nearly always crowded, for here were rehearsed and acted the dramas, the tragedies, and the comedies of real life. The courthouse has always been a very attractive place to the people of the frontier. It supplied the place of theatres, 
lecture and concert rooms, and other places of interest and amusement in the older settlements and towns. The leading lawyers and judges were the star actors, and each had his partisans. Hence crowds attended the courts to see the judges, to hear the lawyers contend with argument and law and wit, for success, victory, and fame. The merits and ability of the leading advocates, their success or discomfiture in examining or cross-examining a witness, the ability of this or that one to obtain a verdict, were canvassed at every cabinet-raising, bee or horse-race, and at every log-house and school in the county. Thus the lawyers were stimulated to the utmost exertion of their powers, not only by controversy and desire of success, but by the consciousness that their efforts were watched with eagerness by friends, clients, partisans, or rivals. From one to another of these rude courthouses the gentlemen of the bar passed, following the judge around his circuits from county to county, travelling generally on horseback, with saddle-bags, brushes, an extra shirt or two, and perhaps two or three law-books. Sometimes two or three lawyers would unite and travel in a buggy, and the poorer and younger ones not seldom walked. But a horse was not an unusual fee, and in those days, when horse-thieves as clients were but too common, it was not long before a young man of ability found himself well mounted. There was very great freedom in social intercourse. Manners were rude, but genial, kind, and friendly. Each was always ready to assist his fellows, and selfishness was not tolerated. The relations between the bench and bar were familiar, free, and easy. Flashes of wit and humor and repartee were constantly exchanged. Such was the life upon which Lincoln now entered and there gathered with him around those pine-tables of the frontier courthouse a very remarkable combination of men, men who would have been leaders of the bar at Boston, or New York, Philadelphia, or Washington, men who would have made their mark in Westminster Hall or upon any English circuit. At the capital were John T. Stewart, Stephen T. Logan, Edward D. Baker, Ninian W. Edwards, Josiah Lamborn, and many others among the leading lawyers from other parts of the state who practiced in the supreme and federal courts at the capitol were stephen a douglas lyman trumbull for many years chairman of the judiciary committee of the united states senate o h browning senator and member of the cabinet at washington william h bissell member of congress and governor of the state david davis justice of the supreme court senator and vice-president of the united states Justin Butterfield of Chicago, and many others almost or quite equally distinguished. This circuit-riding involved all sorts of adventures—hard fare at miserable country taverns, sleeping on the floor, and fording streams were everyday occurrences. All such occurrences were met with good humor and often turned into sources of frolic and fun. In fording swollen streams Lincoln was frequently sent forward as a scout or pioneer. His extremely long legs enabled him, by taking off his boots and stockings, and by rolling up or otherwise disposing of his trousers, to test the depth of the stream, find the most shallow water, and thus to pilot the party through the current without wetting his garments. A gentleman who lived in one of the judicial circuits of Illinois, in which Lincoln had an extensive though not very lucrative practice, gives some graphic and interesting reminiscences. The terms of the court were held quarterly and usually lasted about two weeks. They were always seasons of great importance and much gaiety in the little town that had the honor of being the county seat. Distinguished members of the bar from surrounding and even from distant counties, ex-judges and ex-members of Congress, attended and were personally and many of them popularly known 
to almost every adult, male and female, of the limited population. They came in by stages and on horseback. Among them the one whose arrival was looked forward to with the most pleasurable anticipations, and whose possible absence, although he almost never was absent, was feared with the liveliest emotions of anxiety, was Uncle Abe, as he was lovingly called by us all. Sometimes he might happen to be a day or two late. Then, as the Bloomington stage came in at sundown, the bench and bar, jurors and citizens, would gather in crowds at the hotel where he always put up, to give him a welcome if happily he should arrive, and to experience the keenest feelings of disappointment if he should not. If he arrived, as he alighted and stretched out both his long arms to shake hands with those nearest to him, and with those who approached, his homely face, handsome in its broad and sunshiny smile, his voice touching in its kindly and cheerful accents, every one in his presence felt lighter in heart and more joyous. He brought the light with him. He loved his fellow-men with all the strength of his great nature, and those who came in contact with him could not help reciprocating the love. Another old friend describes Lincoln as being at this time very plain in his costume, as well as rather uncourtly in his address and general appearance. His clothing was of home Kentucky jean, and the first impression made by his tall, lank figure upon those who saw him was not specially prepossessing. He had not outgrown his hard backwoods experience, and showed no inclination to disguise or to cast behind him the honest and manly though unpolished characteristics of his earlier days. Never was a man further removed from all snobbish affectation. As little was there also of the demagogue art of assuming an uncouthness or rusticity of manner and outward habit with the mistaken notion of thus securing particular favour as one of the masses. He chose to appear then, as in all his later life, precisely what he was. His deportment was unassuming, though without any awkwardness or reserve. Mr. Crane, an old settler of Tazewell County, says he used to see Lincoln when passing through Washington in that county, on his way to attend court at Matamora, and he remembers him dressed in a homespun coat that came below his knees and was out at both elbows. Lincoln's tenderness of heart was displayed in his treatment of animals, toward which he was often performing unusual acts of kindness. On one occasion, as Mr. Speed relates, Lincoln and the other members of the Springfield Bar had been attending court at Christiansburg, and Mr. Speed was riding with them toward Springfield. There was quite a party of these lawyers, riding two by two along a country lane. Lincoln and John J. Hardin brought up the rear of the cavalcade. We had passed through a thicket of wild plum and crab-apple trees, says Mr. Speed, and stopped to water our horses. Hardin came up alone. Where is Lincoln? we inquired. Oh, replied he, when I saw him last, he had caught two young birds which the wind had blown out of their nests, and he was hunting the nest to put them back. In a short time Lincoln came up, having found the nest and placed the young birds in it. The party laughed at him, but he said, I could not have slept if I had not restored those little birds to their mother. End of chapter 4a Recording by Bill Borst